Hello, and welcome to the ATPE podcast, brought to you by the Association of Texas Professional Educators and covering the hottest topics on Texas educators' minds today. Hello, welcome to the very first episode of the ATPE podcast. My name is Kate Johans. I'm the Marketing and Communications Director here at ATPE, and I'm with my very first guest, ATPE Managing Attorney, Paul Tapp. And it will likely be me and Paul doing a lot of these podcasts, though I imagine we will have other subject matter experts from the ATPE team, particularly our governmental relations team, on the show at different times as well. Uh, Paul, is there anything you'd like to say as we launch this inaugural effort? Well, basically, I would just like to say greetings to everyone. Thank you for joining us for this inaugural podcast. Um, I'm afraid this particular one may be a little bit of a downer, hoping that we're as we go forward, we'll kind of get more positive information. But like Kate and I were talking ahead of time, we are going to be real with you all and hopefully provide you some, some useful information here. Yes. And so the topic of today's podcast is HB 4545, which we will delve into in a moment. But because I'm hanging out with a lawyer, which is always a dangerous thing to do, I do need to give <laughs> a little caveat that the information we're going to talk about is for general purposes only. If you have an individual legal situation, you need to consult directly with an attorney. And if you are an eligible ATE member, you may contact the ATP member legal services department. So that is my uh, little disclaimer spiel. Did I do a good job, friend? That was very good. Great. Okay. Great. So now that that's out of the way, let's talk about HB 4545. I feel like between COVID and some of the other hot button issues, this one sort of slipped a little bit under the radar. But I've been seeing a lot of TikTok videos about this, actually. <laughs> Just this week, I saw one, and it said, uh, I know, let's provide 30 extra hours remediation for kids who failed STAR in every subject while we're still in a pandemic with a personnel shortage, which is a very succinct uh, way of describing what this bill does. But I think we're going to get into a lot more detail. Uh, there's another one. I'm going to try playing the music. I'll link to it in the show notes. But this one, and I mean, who doesn't want to start with some Lizzo? This kind of uh, shows where we're at. I do my hair toss. Check the neck. Baby, how you feel? I am not feeling good. And that is in relation to <laughs> learning of her school's HB 4545 plans. So with that extremely rousing endorsement, what does 4545 say? I know it says a lot of things. Um, first of all, it requires accelerated instruction for students who do not pass STAR. How exactly like, does that work? What does that mean? Well, and first of all, it does define what not passing STAR means. Um, basically, if a student does not meet grade level, in either the STAR test or an in-course assessment. So it is beyond just the actual STAR test itself is if um, in grades three, uh, three through eight for the STAR test and above for the assessments, um, this accelerated instruction can be required, is not can be required, but actually is required now by House Bill 4545. 
Okay, great. So I've been doing some research on this and it seems like one thing it does is it is eliminating the grade placement committee with an accelerated learning committee. Can you explain what that is and you know, how does that, how does that play? Well, and yes, and it, it basically does just do away with one and, and replaces it with the other. What the Accelerated Learning Committee is, is the committee that actually decides what the individual student that, again, fails. I'm going to use the, just the term fails star from here on out just to, just to be a little bit more succinct about it. Fails a star test. It determines what it is, what the additional instruction is going to be for that individual student. Each individual student has a committee. Same members, same committee members may be dealing with multiple students, but the committee deals with each individual student. That committee is made up of three people. First, it is principal or someone designated by the principal to be on the committee. Second, it is the student's parent or guardian. And third, it is the teacher of the subject that the student failed. In other words, it's, it's the teacher from the past year. It's the one, again, the teacher that was teaching the subject that the student ended up actually failing the STAR test on. Okay. And those three individuals, those three individuals determine again what, what it is that this student is going to get. Um, there are requirements in the law as to what it has to be, but they're going to say specifically, we're going to do this textbook, we're going to do this workbook, we're going to do you know, exactly what it is students going to do. It seems like uh, the, the two choices, it seems like there's a kind of a tree that either the student or a decision point, the student must either be assigned to a specific type of teacher or be provided at least 30 hours of supplemental instruction. Is that a correct statement? Yes, that is a very correct statement. There is one of two things has to happen. If the student fails the STAR, either the student has to be assigned a classroom teacher who is a certified master exemplary or recognized teacher, or the student has to receive supplemental instruction and that's referred to as tutoring some but again that's a little bit a little bit easier to say than supplementary instruction it's one or the other now one thing i want to make clear um because there is some uh, there is some question about it because those terms um exemplary and recognized particularly are used in the t-test um, evaluation. We're not talking about t-test evaluations here. Um, these are terms that are related to um, teachers who have been found um, under either the TIA, the teacher incentive allotment, or who have national certification because under most circumstances, there's a couple of hoops that have to be jumped through, but a teacher has national certification is considered a recognized teacher. But again, the fact that an individual teacher may have received a recognized or exemplary score on their t-test does not mean that they are exemplary or recognized as far as House Bill 4545 goes. Okay, and so if one of those teachers is not available for assignment, or if the grade placement committee determines, they could opt for the 30 hours of supplemental instruction? Yes, yes, yeah, it's an either or. Okay. 
30 hours is a lot. I noticed there were also some specific rules related to what students cannot be removed from in order to receive said accelerated instruction. There were some some rules in that. And basically what it comes down to is a student basically can't be removed from a class in order to receive this supplemental instruction. Um, What the law says is that the student can't be removed from foundation curriculum, from, um, I never can remember what it is called, um, enrichment, excuse me, enrichment curriculum. Student also can't be removed from either PE or physical activity or recess in order to receive this um, supplemental instruction. So basically what it comes down to is this supplemental instruction has to take place either before school, after school, or during some really free period. Again, recess doesn't count as a free period. We're not just talking about non-instructional time. We're talking about actual, we didn't, we have, we're gonna create a period in the schedule during the instructional day that is, doesn't, nothing else is covered by this. Um, and I, one thing I want to clarify as well, because TEA has clarified it, there is, we use the term and TEA has used the term a lot about this 30 hours. It is 30 hours per subject failed. So if a student fails both the math and the reading, that student doesn't get 30 hours of supplemental instruction. That student gets 60 hours of supplemental instructions. It's 30 hours for math. It's 30 hours for reading. Again, also clowning and of course exams, which can bring in social studies and science as well. So even though the law itself refers to 30 hours, again, it refers to those 30 hours per subject failed. And so a student who's, who has failed multiple assessments can actually be required to receive more than that 30 hours of instruction. Another thing I noticed was that there's some, that for the, this population of students, that their parents uh, are allowed to make some specific requests regarding classroom assignment. Is that correct? That is correct. Basically, a parent is and this doesn't change, this actually hasn't changed the law that much. Okay. Um, but the law, what the law does say, and it's, it makes something specific that was always the case, but it's actually specifically stated in the law here. A parent can request a particular teacher um, for their student in the, in the upcoming, uh, upcoming year. Parent has always been able to do that. The law does not say that district has to grant the request. The law only says that the parent can request it. And the district and the TEA has gone and gone on in its guidance and say that districts should come up with some kind of policy as to how to deal with these requests. But they too have been very clear in saying that that policy does not have to say that the district is actually going to comply with the request, only that they have to deal with it in some way and have some way of deciding whether or not they are going to grant it. The request. So again, it's stated in the law, which is something that hasn't been the case in the past. But again, we all know that parents have always been able to request a particular teacher if they want to. So that seems pretty much neutral. Right, right. Okay. Okay. Well, so what's the implementation timeline for all of this? The implementation timeline is interesting to, to put it from in a, in a, <laughs> from a lawyer's point of view. This law went into effect last June. So technically speaking, 
school districts are legally required to actually be providing the supplemental instruction this school year. There was no, there's no grandfathering. There is no official um, provision that says, well, you don't really have to do it this year. Now, TA has, has communicated that they understand that this is quick turnaround time and that they're, they are going to be, for lack of a better term, understanding regarding that. That doesn't change the fact that the law is actually in effect at this point. And, and officially, school districts are required to follow it. So a school district that is following it is honestly doing what the law requires. And the fact that TEA has said that, well, we're not going to, for, for lack of a better term, probably the best way of saying it is TEA has said, we're not going to penalize the school district if they haven't managed to get all of this in place. A school district that has managed to get it all in place, there is no argument that, well, you can't make me do it because it's just come up too fast. And TEA is saying that we're not going to be penalized if we don't. It's Again, the law is the law now. Right. That all seems super quick. Um, one thing that's pretty confusing about this to me is I know last year, you know, certainly ATPE advocated very hard for uh, the governor to pursue waivers for uh, star testing last year. But the testing went on and it was, quote, just for data purposes. And a lot of students, because of COVID and that whole situation, they didn't take STAR last year. What, what happens with those students? Well, in this May, and I and certainly hope, you know, being a relatively positive guy for being a lawyer, I hope it was an unintended consequence of all of this. But again, what the law says is that this supplemental instruction or assigning to a recognized exemplary or a master teacher takes place and is required to take place for any student who had, did not pass the STAR test. Student who didn't take the STAR test didn't pass the STAR test. And TEA, again, has been very clear on this. Not taking it means the student has to get the supplemental instruction or, again, being assigned to an exemplary master or recognized teacher. Um, there, was not an there is no exception to, oh, we recognize that we weren't really taking the STAR test that seriously last year, so it doesn't count this year. Um, legal requirement is that the supplemental instruction has to be given this year. Again, even if student didn't, didn't pass it because they didn't take it. And even if they didn't take it because of the pandemic, because of COVID last year, there is no exception in the law for that. So can parents opt out of the supplemental instruction? The general answer for that is no. Um, this is again, something the TA has been very clear about. Because this is the law, this is now required instruction. So parent cannot opt, simply opt out of it. Um, it's the same as, you know, parent basically, there is no, there is no provision for homeschooling in this case. Um, this is a part of the legally required um, schooling, just like, just like, you know, parents have to send their kids to school, parents don't have an option of saying, I don't want my, my own student to do this. Now, something we may talk about a little bit more in detail, there are some exceptions to this, particularly related to students receiving special education services. Um, that gets into, again, we'll probably talk about that in a little bit because um, there are some details 
regarding that. It's it's not black and white, but get general answer is no. Parent cannot opt, cannot opt out. So I know we've kind of we've talked about the official answer about where the thirty hours cannot come from, but. I guess the practical answer is where are they supposed to come from? It seems like it's adding a lot to both teacher and student plates. It is definitely adding a lot. And, and I, we haven't seen enough at this point as to what, what districts are doing um, as far as before, after school, or during the instructional day. I don't know what districts are doing. Again, TA has made it clear that districts can um, structure schedules to have it during the instructional day. They just have to structure the schedule so that they're not pulling students from another class. That said, the law and the TEA guidance has been very clear. Now, it has been very clear in talking about what students can be required to do and that students can be required to attend this instruction before or after school. They don't actually mention the fact that, of course, if the students are attending it, that means there has got to be someone teaching them as well and that someone, some tutor, has to do it. Now, one thing I want to mention, and um, just before we forget, We've been talking about teachers a lot, and I'm, going to, and I'm going to continue using that term teacher. The law does not actually require that this tutoring, the supplemental instruction, actually be provided by a particular or even any certified teacher. What the law says is the supplemental instruction has to be given by someone who has been trained to give that supplemental instruction. That can be someone other than a certified teacher. What districts will do about it, we don't know, because again, there's no prohibition on it being a certified teacher. There's no prohibition on it being the teacher that this particular student happens to be assigned to in either this year or next year or whatever given year it is. But the law doesn't actually require that. It actually only requires that the person giving the instruction be trained to give that instruction. Okay, and and I know that there's a there was a Senate bill 1356 that was designed to allow retired teachers to be the tutors. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that is correct, and that is that is possibility. Again, it is possible that a retired teacher could do this, could be a tutor. Um, again, they they have to be trained in order to provide this instruction. But as long as they are, that, that certainly is a, is a possibility for a school district. Here's the big question. Can a district require an educator to fulfill these tutoring requirements without additional compensation? Unfortunately, the answer to that is probably yes. And the reason is based on the individual teacher's contract. Um, every teacher, probably, probably every teacher, technically speaking, um, district could opt out by becoming a district of innovation at this point, but I have not heard of any district that has done that, uh, opt out of giving contracts to teachers, but I, I think it's still universal. It's certainly in school districts, charter schools, not quite so much, although teacher contracts are very, are very, very, very common in charter schools as well. So basically what a school district can require a teacher to do is determined by that teacher's contract. It's not determined by House Bill 4545. It's determined by that teacher's contract. 
Now, I have been working with teachers for almost 25 years now, and I have seen over those years a lot of teacher contracts. One provision that I have never seen missing from a teacher contract is a provision that says that the teacher can be assigned additional duties beyond their regular duties. Um, that gives the district the, the, the legal right to basically say, we want you to do some extra stuff. Now, in addition to that, the contract is going to say something about work hours. There may have been a time, again, I've been doing this for a long time, even in the last 25 years, I never really saw any contracts, maybe when I was first starting out back in the mid-90s, um, first saw some contracts that actually stated work hours in the contract. I will tell you, it's been decades. If I ever did see one, it's been decades since I have seen a contract that actually stated work hours. I hear, I talk to teachers a lot, and I hear terms like my contract hours, there honestly is no such thing as contract hours anymore. Um, you may have normal work hours, just everyone has a normal, you know, you're expected to be at work at a certain time and you are allowed to leave at a certain time. That doesn't mean those are your contract hours. Those are just your normal work hours. Your contract will say something about what your work hours are. And it's probably going to say something about the fact that your work hours are whatever it is the district says your work hours are. Sorry to say that, but it's probably going to say something like that. So when you read those two provisions in the contract together, one, that your work hours can change and can be expanded, and that you've agreed by signing that contract that that is the case, and two, that you can be assigned additional duties, that gives the, gen the district a general right to say that this is something that falls under the contract and isn't, they're not required to provide additional compensation for that. Now, a couple of caveats for that. Again, it's a general rule. Um, like I said in the beginning, there's, there's a reason we give that disclaimer that you know individual situations can vary. Individual situations can vary. There can be some reason for an individual teacher that they can't work before school or they can't work after school. That actually would give them a legal right to say no. So there can be exceptions to that, but the general rule is that, legally speaking, district probably can require this. Whether it's right or wrong, of course, is a very different matter because we are talking about potentially very significant amounts of time here. The districts have been, it's been shared with the districts that there are sources of funds to provide compensation for teachers to for all of this extra work that um, is going to be required of them to basically, number one, work on these committees to determine um, what the supplemental instruction is going to be. And then number two, if they are going to be actually being required to provide the supplemental instruction, you know, that time as well. So there may be funding out there for districts. Hopefully districts will use that funding and provide this additional compensation. But I do have to say there is no clear legal right or responsibility on the district to, to do that. It's all very interesting. And it definitely sounds like we have plenty of fodder for podcasts about contracts and different provisions and what they mean. <laughs> I, don't think we're, I don't think we're going to run out of topics for this project. Um, 
something uh, I know I know that related to actually providing the tutoring, a lot of what, or you know, certainly any any teacher, in addition to providing instruction, there's a ton of other stuff that goes with that. And some of that is making sure kids are showing up and documenting whether they show up. Is that a requirement for this tutoring? Is the educator responsible for making sure the students even attend? And this this basically, there's nothing in the law that makes an educator responsible for students to attending. It's basically the same rules for the student showing up for your class. Um, There's not a lot you can do to force a student to actually show up for your class. That said, it is probably good, or it is, will be good um, for a teacher to show that they did what they could to try to get a student to show up for this supplemental instruction, whether that is contacting the parents, talking to the student, you know, individual districts may have specific things that they want a teacher to do to show that they have tried to get the student to show up, but there is no penalty for, you know, um, student showing up any more than there is for student not showing up for class. There's only so much that the district can do. And there's certainly only so much that a teacher can do to get a student to show up. Ultimately, it's up to student and parents. And really, like I said, it just kind of comes down to showing that you've done what you could to, to have the student come. Okay. Another thing I noticed was it talked about um, a three to one ratio requirement for the tutoring, what what does that mean? What does that look? Yeah, and that is that is another requirement in the law um, for this supplemental instruction. It, it, the ratio, the teacher to student ratio, cannot be greater than three to one, unless a parent ha- agrees to a large number. A parent can opt out of that, um, but it, the, the, you do have to get written permission from the parent. Please, teachers listening to this, please let your administrators deal with that issue. Um, But generally speaking, the law requires unless a parent does opt out and does say they are okay with a larger group, the law requires the ratio to be no greater than three to one. TEA has also provided guidance in this, um, and they apparently are intending to be very strict about this. There's been some questions presented to them about, well, what if I have a classroom full of students and, you know, I work with these three while the other students are doing something else? TA has said, generally speaking, that is not acceptable unless there is another teacher in the room who is going to be supervising those other students in the room. Really their their position on this is that the teacher who is providing this supplemental instruction has to be able to focus entirely on this supplemental instruction. There can't be other students in the room unless there is going to be someone else in the room that is taking care of those other students. Okay. So many complexities with this. Yeah, a lot of complexity. And then I think we touched on this briefly, but I think this is another area that's kind of my mind's blown a little bit. What about students who are already receiving special education services? They they already have IEPs and committees that are meeting to discuss their, their educational needs. Does that replace this or? It doesn't replace it. 
and it works concurrently with it. And I will tell you, yeah, this is a very complicated area. Um, and, and we do have some guidance from TEA on this as well. Basically, what it comes down to is 4545 does not replace ARDS, does not replace um, IEPs. What TA has stated, and I honestly think this is probably the most accurate way of dealing with the um, interplay between the Individuals Disabilities Education Act idea, which is what governs special ed, and Section um, 504 um, that deals with students with disabilities, uh, which can also result in something very similar to an IEP as well. What TA has said is that, yes, it is possible for an ARD committee to say in some way that this requirement for the 30 hours needs to be modified, but it needs to be very specific and very specifically related to that individual student's disability if they are going to modify anything regarding this. They can't just simply say that, oh, we're just going to opt out of this 30 hours of supplemental instruction. We're not going to do it at all. Unless, again, there is some basis for doing that. Basically, what TEA has said is that you should, you should just include the requirement for this 30 hours of supplemental instruction the same way you include all the other instructional requirements that you look at in the ARD committee meeting. How can this be modified? How should this be modified um, to meet the individual students' needs? Basically what TEA has said is that the only way a district can, or the only way that an ARD committee can opt out of section um, 4545 totally is to say that somehow or another, by requiring this, that student is not going to be receiving free and appropriate public education anymore, which is a very high standard. So again, the idea is that our committee should look at this, just like they look at, again, just like they look at all instructional requirements, you know, um, with a special education student or a 504 student. And they should look to see if maybe modifications should be made, but those modifications should, should like modifications to instruction, should be as limited as possible, because that basically is what IDEA says, is that the, that the changes that a student receiving special, um, um, special ed services should the changes should be as limited as they can be true here as well wow there is there's just so much of this and it seems it really feels like so much is going to be played out over the course of the school year and next i, I guess as a Very final true. as a final takeaway paul what who should educators be telling about the real world implications of this legislation that's a very good question. You know, at this point, you know, I, I am the the law's the law. I mean, it, it, this is this law was passed by the legislature and signed by governor, and it is the law now. Um, the leg, the only entity that can change the law is the entity that created it, which is the legislature. So I would say number one, contact your legislator to let them know this is what it is this law is doing. Um, number two, I would say this 
this law is a perfect example of why it is so important for educators to try and stay up with, stay current with what the legislature is doing during the legislative session. So that, you know, because obviously legislative voices of constituents are much more meaningful prior to a law being passed, um, you know, when there's when the legislator can vote no on it. And, you know, again, that time has passed at this point. Um, but to the degree that it can be changed, you know, we're in the third session at this point. I have not seen a peep about any issues about changes to this law being considered in the special session. Um, if enough voices were heard, possibly it could be added to um, special session. Governor Abbott has already added a number of different issues to this, the current special session. Could happen again, but it's going to take some voices to do that. Um, but it also could result in a change. If legislators hear about this, it could result in a change for next session. Because again, this law isn't going away. This isn't a one, this isn't just this year that this law is in effect. It, it's gonna be in effect until somebody changes it. This, this is an ongoing law. Um, another entity is possibly local school board. Again, local school board can't opt out of 4545. Um, at least no one has said so, so far. Um, now, one thing that's interesting question is, I don't, I don't know whether it is answered, whether a school district through their district of innovation plan, it's honestly something that just came to my mind, through district of innovation plan could opt out of section 4545. I don't think that is probably the case, but um, I'm not entirely sure of that. Again, something I just thought of as we we're doing this podcast here. But one thing, one thing that board is going to decide is very important issue of who it is that's going to be doing at least the tutoring and are they going to be compensated for it? And that is something, again, that's something that's going to be decided locally. So to the degree that there is the question about we deserve compensation for all these extra hours we're putting in, that can be directed to the local school board. And certainly I feel I would be remiss if I did not mention that we will be having primary elections, which is when the majority of seats, often when the majority of seats in the Texas legislature decided, we they are slated to be held with early voting in late February and then the actual election day March in early March. But with re the redistricting process that's currently ongoing, that may change, but you can always stay up to date on all that information regarding voting as well as research candidates at ATPE's teachthevote.org. Paul, thank you so much for <laughs> taking the time to explain all of this and answer, answer our questions. Um, I know we're both very excited about this project and I wanna invite all of our listeners to send questions and feedback regarding the podcast to com at atpe.org, that's C-O-M-M -M at atpe.org. We would love to hear your feedback as well as any ideas for topics for the shows. Um, with that, we will sign off and uh, take care everybody. Thanks for listening to the ATPE podcast. For more information about becoming part of Texas's largest community of educators, please visit atpe.org.
The information provided in this podcast is for general purposes only. Individual legal situations vary greatly, and viewers needing individual legal advice should consult directly with an attorney. Eligible ATPE members may contact the ATPE Member Legal Services Department.